Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we start, I want to warn you that this story could be triggering for some audiences or even inappropriate for younger ones. Please take care of yourself and listen with caution. In the previous episode of Rasmina, The Last Victim, I just kept quiet. I felt devastated and brokenhearted. My friends were at school, studying and playing with each other. Meanwhile, here I was, forced to marry. Rasmina was forced to marry for the first time when she had just graduated from elementary school. Coming from a poor family in West Java, Indonesia, she had been led to believe that this was the only way out of poverty. By the time she was 19, she had already been married thrice. Unfortunately, this story is all too familiar for many women in her country. I was really hurt inside, so I want to fight and make sure that no other Indonesian girl goes through child marriage. It should end with me. You're listening to Rasmina, The Last Victim. This is the English adaptation of the investigative podcast series Disclose Dipaksa Kawin, created by KBR Prime, Indonesia's pioneer in journalism-based podcasts. This six-part podcast adaptation is produced by Puma Podcast in the Philippines and made possible by international media support. I'm your host, Malika. The year was 2017. It had been almost 20 years since Rasmina was forced to marry for the first time. Now, 32 years old, the child marriage survivor was ready to fight against the system she had grown up in. But she was not alone. She had the support of 18 Plus Coalition, a network of civil society organization formed precisely to end the practice of child marriage. One of its legal representatives was Lia Angiasi. There should be no discrimination between men and women, including the age limit for marriage. Why was the age limit for girls to marry 16 years old when the age limit for boys was 19? We saw that the state was committing discrimination at the time. Angi drew heavily on the stories of child marriage survivor as she prepared for the case. Rasmina would submit a petition to the Constitutional Court for Judicial Review that would revise the 1974 marriage law. And Angi's work was crucial. The testimonies that she would present to the judges had to be convincing enough for them to side with Rasmina and her fellow child marriage survivors. Angi would end up visiting Rasmina at home several times to get her story. She was heavily pregnant when I met her. She had toddlers. One of her parents had a stroke and was bedridden. There was an older sister living there too. 
So in that one house, there were three families. When we arrived, we noticed that the kitchen was outside, and inside the house was where they slept and received guests. It was where the bathroom and toilet were too. So at the time, I felt that Rasmina was a really extraordinary person who wanted to fight. When I asked what motivated Rasmina and convinced her to become an applicant for the judicial review, she said, I have a teenage girl. I don't want my child to experience what I experienced. I want my child to finish school. Of course, if anyone is asked to talk about their sad and bitter past, it'll be traumatic. But seeing Rasmina's demeanor when she was telling her story, it showed me that she was able to manage her emotions. Although it must be sad to tell the story again and again, I believe the trauma even returned. Emotionally, she seemed in good condition to tell all about her marriages in detail. And to Rasmina, it was clear that they had her back. Miss Angie encouraged me. She said, if you want to be an applicant for the judicial review, we will support you. At the time, one out of nine women in Indonesia had already been married by the time they were 18. The situation remains dire today, with the country ranking eight with the most cases of child marriage in the world. Changing the 1974 marriage law couldn't be more urgent for Angi. The stepping stone that we used in the second judicial review was equality before the law, referring to Article 27, Paragraph 1 of the Constitution. There should be no discrimination between men and women, including the age limit for marriage. That's it. So we consider the appropriate age to be equated with men, as stated in the Marriage Law Number no. 1 of 1974, which is 19 years old. It would be the second judicial review filing for the 1974 marriage law. The 18-plus coalition had already learned from the failings of the first judicial review. Now they had a new strategy. We thought that if the person pleading the case was the child marriage survivor herself, it would definitely be different. There were testimonies submitted by fellow survivors, as well as the story, the process of how she got married at a young age. She could convey that in front of the judges at the Constitutional Court. When I met some of the survivors, they were literally children, but one of them was carrying a child herself. And we asked her about it. She replied that her only desire was to go to school, but she had no money. So there she was instead, having to make coffee for her husband every morning. Then she had children of her own and had to take care of them herself. There was no one else around who could help. Angi admits, gathering these stories took a toll on her. There were so many stories that I had to listen to in a span of one day. I had to look them in the eyes, listen to their stories. There could be as many as 10 of them in one day. It was emotionally tough for me. On the surface, I had to stay strong and keep their spirits high. But I also felt the anger the sadness, while listening to their stories. Through these interviews, Angi began to understand why young girls were being married off. Some, like Rasmina, 
were forced to marry because of how poor their families were. Others were married off because they were already considered mature. There is a term in Islam, akil balik. It indicates that when someone is biologically mature, then they are fit to wed. Here's Angi. It turns out that this has been used as a reference for people to encourage children to marry, that the child has reached puberty, even though in fact the person does not really understand its definition. If menstruation and wet dreams are used as parameters, you can say that elementary school children have entered that stage because the body's metabolism is faster these days. But can we really say that children at elementary school age are ready to marry just because they've reached akhil balig? It doesn't work like that. April 20, 2017 The lawyers of three survivors of child marriage, Rasmina, Endang Waslina and Marianti marched to the Constitutional Court in Jakarta to submit a judicial review of the 1974 marriage law. Rasmina, Endang Waslina, and Marianti were among millions of other Indonesian women who were married off as children. They challenged the court. There shouldn't be any more child marriages after this. It should be enough that I became a victim of child marriage, where my parents forced me to marry when I was still young. Let me be the last victim. The lawyers from the 18-plus coalition didn't want the women to keep traveling to and from the court, so they only brought Rasmina and Dangwasrina and Marianti to the proceedings if it was urgent. Rasmina and Endang Waslina, after all, lived in a different province, Indramayu. To get to Jakarta, where the Constitutional Court was, they would have to travel for four hours on land. Meanwhile, Marianti lived in Bengkulu, which is on a different island from Jakarta. She would have to take a two-hour flight to go to the Constitutional Court. Not only would it take too much time and effort from the women to be present at court, but it was costly as well. May 24, 2017 A month after the child marriage survivors submitted their petition to the court. The first hearing was held with the lawyers of 18-plus coalition in attendance. Among them was Ajeng Gandini. Thank you, Your Honor. The petitioners who filed this case are Endangwasrina from Indramayu, Marianti from Bangkulu, and Rasmina from Indramayu. The constitutional basis used is Article 27, Paragraph 1 of the 1945 Constitution, which reads... To recall, here's how Rasmina's lawyer Angi explained their strategy. The stepping stone that we used for the second judicial review was equality before the law, referring to Article 27, Paragraph 1 of the Constitution. There should be no discrimination between men and women, including the age limit for marriage. Why was the age limit for girls to marry 16 years old, when the age limit for boys was 19? We believed that the state was committing discrimination at the time. The main agenda at the first hearing was to check the application. The judge, one of nine overseeing the case, 
instructed the lawyers. There are a number of things that you need to elaborate on further. Petitioners, there are applicants 1 and 2 who got married at the age of 14. Then the third applicant was married off at the age of 13. So maybe that can be elaborated more comprehensively whether their experiences are related constitutional disadvantages. Because when you submit a file to the constitutional court, we don't talk about material or financial loss, but it's about a constitutional loss. I'm sure you understand that. When a judge says constitutional disadvantages or constitutional loss, he or she is talking about how the victim's rights as a citizen are violated. In this case, for the lawyers of 18 plus coalition, Rasmina's right to education and to grow as a child were violated. The judge simply wanted them to elaborate on what these constitutional disadvantages or constitutional laws were. Here's Angi. The input given by the judges was not a lot, so it was easy enough for us to revise it. Okay, I think today's trial is over and the trial is declared closed. A month later, they were summoned for the second trial. Here is Angi. The second session was to read out the results of the revision of the judge's input and the contents of the application. So after the second trial, we just had to wait for the summons for the next hearing. But the third court summons took forever to come. The 18-plus coalition wrote to the Constitutional Court asking them to expedite the trial. The court's reply was simple. There wasn't a schedule yet. So we had to change the strategy again. We decided that it was the applicants who had to come down directly to the court. We filed another letter requesting for the third hearing to proceed. This time, it was done by the applicants themselves. We brought Rasmina and Endang from Indramayu. We had to do this to push the court, so they'd see that it was the survivors who wanted the hearing to continue. Just like before, the legal representative fetched Rasmina by car and they drove for three hours to get to Jakarta from Indramayu. This time, however, Rasmina brought along her two young children, as well as her sister Rustini, who would look after them. Here's Rustini. Rasmina was still breastfeeding, so we had to bring the child. I didn't have any children of my own, so when Rasmina asked me to join her, I said yes. But what she wasn't prepared for was getting stuck in a traffic jam in Jakarta. I had to beg the driver, please turn off the AC. I was sweating a lot. My body was cold because I felt so sick. And we were going around and around because we were stuck in a traffic jam. For her part, Rasmina was focused on how she would drop her letter to the court. Yeah. I told them to please hurry. 
let's not procrastinate on the hearing. We didn't want child marriages to happen anymore. I would be so relieved once the judicial review was finally approved, once it was passed. She went to the Constitutional Court and submitted the letter herself. Again, her request was the same as that of the legal representatives when they sent their letter earlier, that the court would proceed with a third hearing. But this time, the petitioners were banking on the sender of the letter, Rasmina, to make all the difference. Still no word from the court. Six months after the second trial in June 2017, and the petitioners rang in the new year, but that wasn't cause for celebration. Month after month would pass and still no word from the court. Angi and the 18-plus coalition felt more and more pessimistic. They worried that the silence was a bad sign, based on their experience with the first judicial review. But in December 2018, they finally received a letter from the court. Here's Angi. The invitation arrived at the Women's Coalition office. Remember, the Indonesian Women's Coalition, Koalisi Perempuan Indonesia or KPI in Indonesian language, is one of the organizations that are part of the 18-plus coalition. But when I read the hearing agenda, it was already verdict time. How could this be? It was too soon. We had prepared witnesses and strategies ahead of the next hearing. So when we received the summons, we were like, okay, let's prepare for another failure. The most important thing was that we pushed ourselves a lot to get to this point. We had to brace ourselves and prepare for the worst. Angi contacted Darwini from the KPI. Remember Darwini, whose voice we heard in the episode 1? was the person who had invited Rasmina to file the judicial review before the Constitutional Court in the first place. Angi asked Darwini to attend the third trial, along with the survivors who were heading to Jakarta, to be present at the reading of the verdict. Here is Darwini. I looked for a ticket right away and went straight to Jakarta with Rasmina. Rasmina, two of her children, and her sister Rustini returned to Jakarta. My second-born was at the vocational high school at the time. She said, I'm very proud of you, Mom. I was so glad that my family supported me that much. What's important to us to stop child marriage. At the time, I was crying a lot inside. I just kept it to myself. I never cried in front of my children. I felt relieved when they supported me, kept me going, kept me fighting, especially my husband. He always encouraged me in the fight to stop child marriage from happening again. December 12, 2018, the day before the court hearing. Angi was also busy with preparations. After all, the first judicial review process she had ever participated in was nearing its resolution. She armed herself with a special set of robes, which she borrowed from her senior colleague, Bang Supi. He was a huge influence in her life and was also part of the first failed judicial review. 
He was also the person who proposed that they submit a second judicial review of the 1974 marriage law. Supi was present at trials in May and June 2017. Unfortunately, he would no longer find out what the verdict was. Supi died of natural causes before the hearing. So I borrowed his robe. It was too large for me because he was big and tall. But it was important for me to wear his robe. I wanted to absorb his fighting spirit. December 13, 2018. The day the survivors and their lawyers were waiting for had finally arrived. Here is Angi. On D-Day, I went to the office. My friends seemed worried about me as I was preparing to leave for court. They consoled me, saying that I should relax if the result wasn't as expected. We have this Padangis canteen where we always go. I immediately planned to escape to the place to calm myself down if we failed again this time. Angi knew where she would seek comfort if things didn't turn out in their favor. The Warung Padang served a huge assortment of spicy meat, fish, and vegetable dishes that one paired with steaming hot rice and ate with their bare hands. I was bracing myself mentally. How would I feel if the judicial review failed again? Would I be ashamed? I decided that I would move on, because I know advocacy work is not always successful, and change isn't something that we can achieve in a short time. The Constitutional Court towered over Rasmina, a neoclassical building it brought ancient Greece to mind. There were nine huge pillars in front, symbolizing the number of constitutional court judges who would be handing down the decision. Rasmina in her yellow headscarf, red batik shirt, and blue skirt hobbled over, a cane in her right arm. I was trembling, a lot until it seemed like my legs couldn't walk anymore. Seeing a building like that, how could you get inside? Rasmina had never had to deal with the law or the legal system before. She had no idea what to expect or what was expected of her. What was the process like? How did people get to the court to this stage in the proceedings anyway? Oh, I was so anxious. I didn't know how to get to the court. Please, help me, God. Next on Rasmina, the last victim. We hear from Angi. We encouraged the applicants more because they were here at the court. Rasmina and Endang were here. I talked to both of them, trying to comfort and calm them. I assured them that if we lost this again, this is not a failure. Instead, this means we have more homework to do to stop child marriage in the future. The state didn't see this as an urgent matter. I asked for their support along the way. Rasmina I felt so anxious. My mind was just a mess. I was looking at the judges. There were as many as 12 of them. Something like that. 
You've been listening to Rasmina, The Last Victim. I'm your host, Malika. This adaptation was put together by Trisha Aquino, Nina Toralba, Mark Casillian, and Carl Joe Javier of Puma Podcast in the Philippines. In Indonesia for KBR Prime, Nini Yuniati, Wahyu Setiawan, Dwi Renjani, and Citra Diah Prastuti worked on the original series Disclose Dipaksa Kawin. This collaboration was made possible by international media support. Subscribe to Rasmina, The Last Victim, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on kbrprime.id. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.